The reading of scripture today is from John 12, 1 through 8. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this anointment not sold for three hundred denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. But the sermon is going to come primarily from verses 3 through 9, as we get a picture of what true worship looks like. We get to see this woman come into the presence of Jesus. She pours out this incredibly expensive uh, vial of costly ointment or perfume. She pours it on the head of Jesus. And we see what true worship really looks like. And I think there's four things that we'll take away from today's passage. That true worship is costly. That true worship is often scolded or scoffed at by man. That true worship always keeps Jesus first. And finally, that true worshipers will be exalted by God. So those are the things that we'll see and kind of take out of the passage as we walk through it this morning. So without further ado, let's read our passage Mark 14, verses 1 through 11. It says this, And now it was two days before the Passover, and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him, for they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while they were at Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at a table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. And there were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, And whatever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the world, in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And they heard it, and they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. Well, as we've been walking through the book of Mark, we're reminded that Jesus has told us this is going to happen three times in the book of Mark. He has said that he would be delivered over to the religious leaders. They would then deliver him over to the Romans and he would die, but then three days later rise again. This is something that Jesus has predicted and now we're starting to see it unfold. As these these religious leaders before the Passover, are, the priests and scribes are seeking to arrest him by stealth and kill him. 
And so they're seeking out to do that. And we get at the end of this story that Judas, apparently this is kind of the last straw for him. And he goes out and he decides that he's going to betray Jesus. And what an interesting thing we see. And we'll see this here in this first, this first part here. There is a contrast happening. A contrast happening between Judas and between this woman. That we are seeing what a true worshiper of God looks like and what a false worshiper of God looks like. And they're being contrasted against each other and pitted against each other in this book for us to see and learn from. Because what we see is that true worship is costly. Verse 3 we see right there, And while they're at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. And at the end we tell this, this thing that happens is kind of the last straw for Judas. He then decides, I'm going to go and I'm going to go betray Jesus. Now what we want to see is the costliness of this reality is because nard is something that would only be found in India. And so it's a really expensive thing to get shipped into Israel, into Jerusalem, into that area. That that would have to come, and that's a big cost in a long time ago, before planes, trains, and automobiles, right? Those are the things that we would see that they took a lot of time, a lot of money to get this. This is probably the most expensive thing that this woman owned. The most expensive thing, the most valuable thing that she had that she would cherish. And we know from the book of John that this woman's name was Mary. So Mary comes and she brings this incredibly expensive thing and she breaks it, which means she can't use it again. She's broken the flask. It's going to be all poured out. She doesn't just give Jesus a little bit of her greatest possession. She pours it on his head. True worship cost her her most valuable possession. And what we see from the other accounts, and this one as well, uh, is Judas probably kind of leading the way, but they say, hey, this could have been sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor. That is her value of Jesus. Her value of Jesus is everything she has. When she looks at Jesus, she says, I need the most expensive thing I own, the most precious thing I own. I'm gonna come and I'm gonna break it over him and I'll pour it on his head. But when Judas goes to portray Jesus, he sets a price on the head of Jesus, and it's 30 pieces of silver. 30 pieces of silver, which in the Old Testament is what a slave would cost. And so when Judas measures up Jesus, he says, he's approximately worth what a slave would cost me. See, when Judas looks to Jesus, Judas says, Jesus is for me, and Jesus isn't doing what I want him to do, so I'm gonna betray him and get what I want out of Jesus. When Mary looks at Jesus, she says, I am for Jesus. And everything I have, even the most costly thing, is going to come and I'm going to pour it out on him. That's the difference between these two people. Judas looks at Jesus and he says, what can I get out of you? Mary looks at Jesus and says, I was made for you. And that's what we have to see is what does true worship look like? True worship says, I am willing to give it all, cost Pay the price. Why? Because Jesus is worthy. When we make an estimation of his value, we see he's worth it all, not just 30 pieces of silver. He's not my slave to be treated the way that I want to treat him, but rather he is worth so much more. The book of Romans, verse, chapter 12, verse 1 Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. And he's making this appeal and he says, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. 
Paul is saying to those Roman Christians. He's appealing to them, by God's mercy, live sacrificially. That's what worship looks like. Worship is going to cost you something. It is costly, and there's no way around it. He uses what is kind of an oxymoron. You know, an oxymoron is something like jumbo shrimp, right? Like big shrimp, it doesn't make sense. But a living sacrifice is an oxymoron, right? What do you do to animals you sacrifice? You don't keep them alive, you kill them. But Paul is using that because he's saying, Christians, live your life in such a way that you are living a constant act of sacrifice and worship to Jesus over and over and over again. Holy, acceptable to God. That's what worship looks like. Jesus tells us in Matthew 13, 44 through 46, I quote this passage a lot because I love it. But the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all he had and bought it. Why are they doing that? Why are they selling everything they have? Because they see what Mary saw, that Jesus is worth it. Worship is costly, but it's, it's worth the cost because the one you're worshiping. To, to give worship is to ascribe worth. It's literally from worth-ship. It's saying he is worthy, he is valuable, and I'm willing to lay it all down. So when I find that kingdom of heaven in a field, I'll sell everything I have to get that field. When I find that fine pearl, I'll sell everything I have to get that pearl because it's more valuable than the things I'm selling off. And that's the call. Jesus is calling people to follow him who are saying, Jesus, you are worth everything. Who are saying, I'm, worthy to, I'm willing to pay that price of the costliness of worship because Jesus told us in the book of Mark, verses, chapter 8, verses 34 through 35, if anyone, in calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. That's what's so awesome about the book of Mark and just the Bible in general. Jesus says, this is what discipleship looks like in Mark chapter 8. He then starts walking with him and he's teaching and he's teaching and he's teaching. And the last two passages we looked at is last chapter, there's this widow and she comes and what does she give? She gives everything she has in the end of chapter 13. And now he gives us a picture of this woman who comes and she takes the most valuable thing she has, breaks it open so she can't go back and pours it all all, all, all out on his head. That's the call. The call to be a Christian is to look to Jesus and say, you are worth everything to me. It's to cry out and sing like we just did, hallelujah, all I have is Christ. That's what we're claiming. That's what we see. That's the call that Jesus has for us. And if we live a life of sacrifice to our Lord, we must know that not all will share in the sentiment. So when you start living sacrificially, the world will look at you and they will think you are crazy. And that's what happens to Mary. Verse four, and there were some who said to themselves indignantly or angrily, they're angry. 
Why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. Now, what's interesting about the Gospels is we get to read them and kind of get the full picture. We put them all together. So this account comes up in the book of Matthew and in the book of John. Matthew tells us that it's the disciples. In Mark, it's kind of unnamed. It just says, you know, there were some who said this. In the book of Matthew, we're told the disciples were the one who say it. And in the book of John, we're told Judas says it. So I would say if we put that all together, it seems like Judas kind of leads the way of saying, why is this happening? Now, John tells us why, because he's a thief. Judas served himself, and he loved himself. And he was saying, you just wasted money on Jesus that I could have stolen. Right? And that's what he wanted. But I think there's this a huge thing there, the poison of a bad leader. The poison that can happen when we allow ourselves to get our eyes off Jesus and on somebody else, because the disciples, according to Matthew, were part of the scolding. They take the side of the betrayer, not the side of the worshiper. They don't look to this woman and say what Jesus says. She has done a beautiful thing for me. They follow Judas. They say, what are you doing? Why would you waste all of this stuff? And we, I think, need to remember it's the disciples who become apostles, who do things like pen the Bible through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. If they can be led astray, I can be led astray, and you can be led astray. We must keep our eyes on Jesus and see that he is the one who, who is worth everything. Because the reality is, is they looked at her and they believed that the, there was a better use for this perfume. And doesn't that just sound like church? <laughs> Oftentimes, we come together, make a decision, and there's always somebody who says, there is a better use for this. What are you doing? I'm going to bring up a bad memory for Ohio State fans, but in 2019, Ohio State was playing Clemson, and we blew a big lead, right? We can all kind of remember that. I know you've blocked it out of your memory, but I'm going to bring it back. But they blew this big lead, but then at the end of the game, there was this, like, moment of hope. They're driving down the field. If they score a touchdown, they win. They're roughly 20 yards out. Justin Fields is the quarterback, and he's got a cannon for a right arm. And he takes off. He has to evade defenders. He rolls left. His wide receiver cuts left. He throws right, right to Nolan Turner, the safety for the Clemson Tigers. Game over. And I sat there, and I thought, Justin Fields, what is wrong with you? He wasn't even close. He was in the left-hand corner of the end zone. All there were were Clemson Tigers in the right-hand side. Why did you make that throw? And then later I saw a view of what Justin Fields would see. See, when Justin Fields took that snap and took off, this part of his offensive line broke down, and he had these giant, terrifying men wanting to rip his head off. And he rolled left to evade those defenders. And Chris Olave, the wide receiver, had not made his cut yet because he was 30 yards out, and he took a shot because the safety played him to the left. Olave saw him roll and cut to the left. Fields saw the defense and made the throw to the right. You know what I realized in that moment? It is way easier to play quarterback from the couch than it is to play from the field. And in church, in ministry, and in life, it is way easier to play quarterback from the couch than it is from the field. 
it is easy to get a critical spirit of other people when they're out there pouring it all out for Jesus and think you know what would be a better use of those resources. You know what would be a better use of that time. But let me tell you, it's way easier to play from the couch than it is from the field. It's easy to be critical, but we have to see that Jesus is calling us to just be like Mary and to get into the game. That we can't be caught sitting on the sidelines like these disciples were, but we need to go and worship at the feet of Jesus because whether good decision or bad decision, what we see in the rest of the passage is that what she has done is a beautiful thing and she has prepared his body for burial. I mean, that is just amazing. In verse six, we're told, as we look, that tree worship also keeps Jesus first. He says, but Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whatever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. Jesus comes to her defense. Everyone else is scolding her. What are you doing? We wasted all of that. There would be such a better use for that. And Jesus says, don't scold her. Don't do that. She's, she's done a beautiful thing. You always have the poor. And Jesus isn't telling us to not care for the poor in this passage. Jesus has cared for the poor for 13 chapters in the book of Mark. Jesus loves the poor. Jesus is saying, guys, there's something you don't see. There's something bigger happening for the poor and for all people. And that's the death of the Son of God for the sins of men, that if they put their faith and trust in him and him alone, they might also participate in his resurrection from the dead. Because when he raises from the grave three days later, he makes it possible that we might be reconciled to God because he has taken the iniquity of our sin and laid it upon his body it's bigger than caring for the poor and 300 denarii. She's preparing his body for burial. And the thing is, is I have no idea if Mary had any clue that she was doing that. I don't know. Maybe she picked up on it from some of the predictions that Jesus had made before, the prophecy he had. I don't know. We don't really get that clear of a picture. But I think what we can say is this. She loved her Savior Jesus and she wanted to extravagantly worship Jesus. So she trusted that and worshiped him. And what we see is God in his beautiful act of sovereignty takes this lady's free-willed act of worship and weaves it into the beauty of the plan of the gospel that will, that will be our story, every Christian story for the rest of time. That's an amazing thing. God is so amazing. And I think for me, as I look at that, there are so many times in my life, I don't know what to do next. I'm not sure what the next right thing to do necessarily is. Because the reality is, is we know I want to love Jesus, but there's a lot of different ways to love Jesus. When we decided, do we want to plant Redemption Hill Church? Or do we want to stay at our sending church at Paramount and keep serving there? Do we want to do these different things? I can't tell you I knew what the right answer was. We just decided to love God and at that time when I was really messing with, or just dealing with all those things, lots of anxiety or, oh man, we were trying to plant this thing and then COVID rolled through. And so do we stop? Do we keep going? All the decisions that we had, it was very, very stressful. And I was talking to another pastor through one of our networks and he just said, Josh, just put your hand to the plow. Just put your hand to the plow and let God lead you. 
And so me and the Echelmeyers and the Bowmans started walking around North Lincoln Village inviting people to a Bible study. <laughs> and that's what we did. We just put our hand to the plow. We didn't know that a year later we'd be sitting here with an almost full room. We need to grab some more chairs for next week. But that is the reality of things that God is doing before us. We didn't know that this was going to happen. We, had, we don't know the future. What we know is that we love God and we're going to keep Jesus first. And I just want to take whatever I have and pour it out towards Christ and just let him do with whatever he will with it. And that's what we have to do. I don't know that sports camp is a good idea. I have no idea if that's a good idea or not. I'm just putting, we're just going to put our hand to the plow. We're going to love on some kids and we're going to tell them about Jesus this week. I don't know that a ton of people will show up to the block party. We have no idea. But we're going to put our hand to the plow. And me and Jimmy are going to take the hot heat of June and we're going to walk around to people's houses and we're going to put little door hangers on their door. And we're just going to keep our hand to the plow and trust that the Lord will do something with our effort. And for you, you don't know what God's going to do with that conversation at work. But put your hand to the plow and have it. You don't know what's going to happen. Sometimes you feel like these people want nothing to do with God. And as we reminded some guys in some early morning Bible studies, I told them everybody has to hit the pillow at night and everyone's got to think about their life at night. And what they might scoff at you in the daylight, they will think differently at night when they're alone and they've got to deal with their conscience before God. So put your hand to the plow. Put your hand to the plow. And trust the Lord with the results. We don't know what's going to happen. I don't know that Mary knew it was going to happen. I think she just loved Jesus. She kept him first. And like we've said before, if Jesus is first, everything else will fall into order. That's the beauty of the power of the gospel. When you don't know what to do, you pour out your perfume. You do the thing that God has called you to do. And you say, I just want to worship Jesus. And I just want to take the next right step in doing that. The amazing and counterintuitive reality of the gospel is that when we lose our lives, we actually find it. Our humility leads to our exaltation through Christ. That's what happens to us because true worshipers are exalted by God. In verse 9, we are said, And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. I think about the apostles. They are some humble men because they tell the whole story in these gospels. And I think they were alive to hear them read to other Christians. They were in those congregations in that early first century churches. And they would sit down and Peter is sitting there as somebody reads this and he says, yeah, I took Judas aside on that one. Mary did the right thing and Jesus rebuked us all. And I just think about that. What would that have been like? What would it be like to sit there and to be in those, that early Christian church and just to be honest and say, yeah, Judas had us convinced that she totally wasted all of that. And then Jesus stood up and said, you guys are all wrong. We look at what happens in this scenario. In verse 10, Judas goes out with the chief and finds the chief priest in order to betray Jesus. For the rest of history, rest of human history and Christian history, he's the betrayer. He's the guy who betrayed Jesus. But for the rest of Christian history, wherever the gospel is proclaimed, this woman is the one who gave it all to worship her Savior. That's amazing. In the moment, 
She is scolded. She is told, what are you doing, you fool? But in the scope of eternity, she's exalted. In Columbus, Ohio, thousands of miles away, on the other side of a massive ocean, we talk about this woman where the gospel is proclaimed. We fulfill verse 9. Because wherever the gospel is preached, her story is being told. But we have to see is Mary is not honored and exalted in this because of Mary. Mary is honored and exalted in this story because of Jesus. She realized something that every Christian must come to grips with. Your glory is not found in you. Your glory is found in another Your glory is found in Jesus. Jesus paves the way for that reality as we read about in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. He says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and on heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's what exaltation looks like. Jesus is exalted. We, we read from Revelation 5 last week as we talked about, we were talking about the, the end, the end of the world, uh, because that's what Jesus teaches on in, in Matthew 13. And we read through Revelation 5 as we sang through a song. And what do they say? Is worthy are you, Lord. Why? Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Is because he humbled himself, because he was humiliated on a cross that makes him worthy to be exalted and worshipped. And Jesus is inviting us to follow in his steps in acts of costly worship to him, where we're scoffed at in the moment by the world, but we're promised that one day we will be glorified with him when that day comes and every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is saying, you will come and be my sons and my daughters forever in eternity, and we are exalted with him. See, the reality is, is we must find our glory in the glory of another. If you've ever heard of the phrase riding in on somebody else's coattails, I'll tell you the history of that phrase actually started in the 1600s, and it was just riding in on your own coattails. They didn't have the other part. It was just a positive thing of what it meant to kind of be a self-made man, just to kind of work your way in and, and go from kind of poverty to riches. That's what it meant to ride in on your own coattails. But then somewhere like in the 1800s, for some reason, people started changing. They turned the phrase, and they started talking to other people of, well, he's just riding in on his coattails. And that became a really negative thing to say, because you can think, you know, back in the day where you wear a nicer jacket around and it has long coattails, you just grab on and kind of be taken along for the ride. And what it's saying is somebody else's status, somebody else's position, and somebody else's accomplishment is the reason why you are where you are now. You weren't self-made, but rather you got there because of somebody else. And what I would say to Christians is we can turn the phrase one more time and say, I am happy to ride the coattails of Jesus. 
because that's what we're being called to do. That's the beauty of it. He's accomplished it. He's the one who cries out, it is finished. He's the one who raises from the dead. And what he's calling us to do is grab onto him and ride him into glory. That's the call. Our glory is not found in our own accomplishment. Our glory isn't found in what we do. Our glory is found in the glory of another. She is talked about wherever the gospel is proclaimed, not because of her. She's talked about because of him. Because what he accomplished. Because what he has done. And that's the beauty of the gospel, that we get to humble ourselves, as James would tell us, humble yourselves that you might be exalted because he will humble the proud and exalt the humble. Peter says something very similar, that we would humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God that he might exalt you in the right time. It's all throughout the scriptures that those who get low for Christ will be exalted high. And that's the beauty. That's the beauty of what we get to see in today's passage. That as Mary looks and just looks to her Savior, and I think she's just overcome with love. And so she takes that thing that's valuable to her, that holds treasure in her heart, and she brings it to Jesus, and she cracks it open so that there's no turning back, and she pours it out on Jesus. And Jesus, because of his awesome, sovereign way of going about life, takes that act of worship and shows them what she has done, and she has prepared my body for burial. God is always working in and through us to pave his own path in this world. That Jesus is being prepared for burial by the the act of this act of worship of, of just a regular human being like me and you. And she does that. We see that she keeps Jesus first even though she's being scolded by men. And you'll have the same thing. You start living a sacrificial life for Jesus, people will, will they'll scoff at you. They won't cheer you on. But we have the joy of being able to say, I know that something better is coming, that one day I'll be resurrected with him. One day I'll be exalted with him because I'll ride his coattails into glory. I'll hold on tight to Jesus and Jesus will hold me fast and bring me into his kingdom forever. So we don't have to be afraid to sacrifice. We don't have to be afraid to to take a risk for Jesus. Rather, we can say, yes, Lord, this is what we want to do. We're going to take that next step. Take my idol and let me crack it open so there's no turning back and follow Jesus. And that's what I want to invite you to do today. If there are things holding you back from following Christ, may you lay them down and resolve today to say, no more. I'm breaking them and there's no turning back. I will not turn back to those old things. I'm going to pour out the things that matter to me. I'm willing to sacrifice for Jesus. And I'm going to trust that he'll use my sacrifice for his glory and his purposes. And as he is glorified and honored, oh, the joy that he'll bring me with him. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Father, I pray that you would work this story deep into our hearts. God, even 